What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Drops. Drops are an organ-based edible company and one of my go-tos when I'm heading into the dispensary. Their consistency and price point keeps them in my regular rotation of gummies. I love their 100 milligram canisters that have the little 5 milligram bites in there. They make it easy to monitor dosage and not get unexpectedly blasted. The chill ones are my favorite. They're this banging watermelon flavor and one thing that I love about these edibles is that they taste great sometimes you get some edibles that pack a punch but taste horrible and drops i have to be careful with because they taste so good that i just want to eat them like a bag of sour patch kids with drops you can choose your edibles based on how you want to feel that's possible because drops are made with live rosin a solventless full spectrum cannabis concentrate as a full spectrum concentrate rosin contains the full array of psychoactive compounds in cannabis which work together to give each strain its unique effect all of their cannabis is flash frozen and processed into that live rosin the flash freezing prevents plant material from decomposing and preserves terpenes that evaporate during the traditional drying and curing processes they come in 10 different flavors and strains to choose from including several cbd variations you can find drops at your favorite local organ dispensary just tap into the link in the episode notes to find a supplier in your area Big thanks to Drops for their support. Let's start the episode. happening everybody welcome back to another episode of the dan cable presents podcast thank you for tuning into the program once again if this is your first time listening thanks for checking out the show you can find fresh episodes coming at you every tuesday and if you want to help support this thing in a free way you can do so by clicking subscribe on itunes clicking write a review giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those itunes charts whether you are a 
past guests or a loyal listener you've listened a couple times uh just can't stress the importance of those itunes reviews enough and appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so if you're not listening on apple just hit like follow subscribe wherever you are listening from share the podcast with a friend tap into the monthly playlist that i've been putting out every first of the month on apple and spotify links for those are in the episode notes and just a snapshot of what i'm listening to throughout the month some things that are making it into my dj sets and also featuring some local portland artists there as well hope everybody is doing well out there excited to get into another episode episode 348 of this thing portland-based producer and engineer matt larimer is on the podcast back-to-back producer engineer episodes last week i had cam spees who is also a local Portland-based producer and band leader for the group Night Heron, and we talked producing and engineering, and I had this conversation with Matt Larimer that same week, so thought it would be nice to keep things in that lane for another week. Big thanks to Matt for having me to his new studio space. Just made me feel real welcome right from the get-go, and he and I had been DMing back and forth on Instagram for the past couple months. And I think by even our conversations and interactions there, I thought we'd probably hit it off all right. And that was a correct read. It was just a very chill hang. And I'm excited to hear the work that comes out of his new space. So don't hesitate to reach out to Matt if you dig what you hear in this conversation and are looking to make a record or have any other recording producing needs. I know I've mentioned this before, but often listening back, doing the edits to the podcast is my first opportunity to just listen to what the guest is saying without having to put any energy into directing the flow of the conversation or checking on the gear that's recording the chat. And I really dug getting to rehear some of Matt's stories and answers for things, specifically just listening to him tell the story of getting his first recorder. I feel like you can hear some of the magic and his passion for discovering how to facilitate recording music and how exciting it was and still is to him. He's a kind dude. He's a humble dude. And I'm stoked to get to know him more along with being an engineer and producer matt also plays in a portland band called willerney and is also a dj which we dive into djing a bit toward the end of the conversation so i'll put matt's links in the episode notes including a link for a brand new dj mix that he just put out on soundcloud called keychain volume one we will get into that momentarily i want to give a big thank you a big shout out to everybody that came through doug fur last weekend for the night heron isabeau vayu walker co-headline show over there that thing sold out it was a, a beautiful night of music love jones set the night right with a, a killer beat set to get things going and yeah it was just a, a beautiful night and the Doug for just such a special place in a couple of weeks. I'll have been in Portland for 10 years now. And the first night I came to this city, my aunt and uncle took me to a local show there. And it was just uh, a very cool place to spend my, my first evening in Portland. I was feeling a little, 
maybe a little homesick, a little out of place, and just kind of uh, there was a lot of unknowns at that time about what I was kind of doing with my life and moving out of state for the first time, and uh, to to come back to that place ten years later in that capacity of uh, having my hands on a sold out Doug Fur show with my favorite artists in the city and just a cool moment to uh, kind of uh, take in and and reflect on on the growth that has happened in these last 10 years so thank you again for the people that came through supported that one thank you all for uh, supporting the podcast once again all the links for Matt Larimer are in the episode notes and we are going to get in to episode 348 of this thing and this is a taste of that keychain volume one mix that matt just put up links for that in the episode notes links for all the bands and artists featured throughout the conversation will also be in the episode notes as well let's do the damn thing this is my homies it's me and my homies it's me and my homies it's me and my homies and everybody's smoking we're right up to the ceiling What's everybody feeling? Crashed out on the sofas. Let me show you what my home is. Yeah, like like so familiar with the the engineering and producing side there hasn't been many of those episodes and i think uh i think the ones that i have done with the producers and engineers always offer like a different perspective and and insight on the on the process of making music and Mm. you get to work on a bunch of projects that you're not necessarily like at the creative helm Sure. On like as far as the the conception of stuff all the time, so I think that offers like a a pretty interesting perspective on things, and you totally. know, just like 
the way you get informed about things and uh definitely want to like jump into all of uh your stuff surrounding surrounding that but uh i thought we would we would talk first just like about what your your entry point into music was and like how you kind of caught the music bug whether it was like collecting music of your own and developing taste or like jumping on an instrument for the first time Mm. yeah yeah i feel like there's two like two or three solid points for me there's like sort of my more just love of music and how i started like like discovering different kinds of music and what and like i can remember like the first song i heard and then there's definitely like sort of my more entry point into a career in yeah. music, you know, um, and I can start like, let's hit it all where, okay. wherever you want to start. Sure. Sure. I think, I mean, I think like one of the first songs I can remember hearing was uh, light my fire by the doors. Okay. Um, and my dad had like some old record collections and stuff that, I mean, he's, I think he, he must be like 65 and I'm 29. So there's like a solid age gap between me and him generationally musically all those things but he he had this old record collection and i was just like digging through it back in arkansas no no this was in chicago okay Okay. so uh, going back so my mom my mom's english and my dad's american they started their family in our family in england uh, and i have three older siblings my all of us were born there and i was like i'm the youngest so when I was like 18 months, we moved to Chicago. You have dual citizenship? No, dude, it's something that I like, it, <laughs> I constantly think about until so my grandmother's Swiss. So like, that's the citizenship that I'm really trying to get. Uh. But both of them are, uh, both of them require service in the military. Okay. And so there's a little bit of a thing, like, I'm like, ah, like You're not really, ready to enter the Swiss military? I mean, the Swiss military <laughs> sounds like a, like a gas, you know what I'm saying? Like, it sounds so good. Like, there, it's like summer, it's summer camp. You go and you get in really good shape, hang out with your, like, some new friends, and then, like, leave. And, like, they're not, they're not ever going to war. Like, that's, they're, they're like, they're, they're not. the Swiss. Yeah, they're not trying to go to war. They're like, we just need to have a military. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were in Chicago, digging through old crates of, my dad's music, um, and I can so clearly like that coming on, and you know that fucking ride symbol that comes in, and uh, and I and I I think when I heard that, I like wanted to be I wanted to be a singer so bad, like Jim Morrison's baritone voice. I was like, I want to do that, and so I remember yeah. just like you know singing along to it, um, and kind of simultaneously, I was listening to music with my mom, who grew up listening to the Beatles, and like I saw the Beatles in like a dingy old club, like way back in the day with her mom. Um, and we would drive around listening to old Beatles records and we would play this game where we'd be like, who's singing right now? Is it Paul? Is it George? Is it John? Like, and we would just kind of like, be like, oh, that's both of them. Oh, that's John. Oh, that's, you know. So very early on, you like had this experience of like really diving into the details of, of these songs and kind of like breaking them down a little bit even in that way. Totally, totally. And my, so my parents, neither of my parents are. I would say musical there, or um, at least in any sort of artistic way there, uh, or sorry, they're not creative in any artistic way. None of yeah. them play instruments. There was even up for a long time, there was never even really like instruments in our house. Okay. Um, but my mom in particular definitely loved music, like loved listening to it, loved going to shows. She loved all the culture surrounding it. Like she always, I mean, her opinions have changed over time, but like she was so into the like, which beetle is the best beetle or like, you know, who's my favorite and why? And like all these things. And I think that got me really excited yeah, about it. You not know? just listening, but like examining the music in some way. Totally. Well, totally. And it's like, this, it's this whole world you can dive into. And she kind of did the same thing with Elvis and would go on these sort of 
long rants about Elvis and the Colonel and all this stuff. And like, you know, just, or playing a Tina, we listened to a Tina Turner record live, like on repeat. And I remember her just talking about like the, like the power of that performance and being like, this, this moment in time was so important because of these things and like kind of tying it into more of a, into its own world, which was always really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my first, like the first like semblance of any sort of musical thing. Do you think that like really translated though, as far as like, as you got deeper into music, were you always like searching for those, those types of details and not only listening, but like looking at the liner notes and things like that from a, a pretty early age and interested in like the producing or engineering of a record or just like maybe the songwriting credits to something yeah not i mean not so much the liner note side of it i was definitely there were times i mean i was still getting cds at one point where i love looking at the booklets and those things i'm not the best with like names like i can't just recall like oh so and so did this yeah but what i think i was really looking for was these stories or these worlds that sort of existed around the artists whether they were fantastical or just down to earth you know it's like um we were talking about i was talking about daniel johnson earlier like something i love about daniel johnson is there is such an incredibly like human it's sad but also really like uplifting in some ways and really beautiful and like there's just a whole world like he's he created from his visual art to his music to just his story as a human being I'm like this is so this is so exciting like it's so cool and I'm just like I'm just feel so like blessed that it exists I'm like it's so cool we can just like dive into this world of how you recorded something or who you were close to in these times and how that translates into your songs um were you immersing yourself in a lot of uh like music documentaries as oh, as yeah. you were growing up then? For sure, for sure. I did, uh, I feel like I was on the very tail end of like the VH1 era. Dude, like, behind the music? Yeah, oh, totally. Beautiful. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> that whole, that whole, I mean, I wish I had YouTube back then because I just like, the amount of doc- music documentaries and stuff that exists on YouTube that I'm just like, wow, I wish I had more time to dive into these because it's so yeah, real. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that was always like, I don't know. Even from a young kid, I was always into the those just for like the same reason you're talking about, just to like know the story and the context for all these things or like just understanding this person making the music was always so like just as interesting as listening to the records, sure. if not more, just to like f- feel like you have some sort of like additional attachment to something like when you get the opportunity to kind of like know someone whether it's like through a documentary like that or through like a long podcast conversation or whatever yeah they kind of become your like a friend in a weird way or like (laughs) like at least you start to get to that and i think that you know there's some line there of uh that person just being a person but still like hearing how someone makes a song or hearing how they went about uh you know booking a gig or whatever it gives you more like uh context for them but also makes you feel like they're just another person yeah making stuff and that's really inspiring as an artist to be like great you were just doing the same thing i was doing or yeah we we both we both did this really ridiculous thing of like recording on a four track recorder or that for kind of sure stuff. it's yeah. good to humanize those people because it's easy to like just assume that like celebrities or like musicians that have huge followings are just like not dealing with the same shit that you're dealing with on a daily basis or totally totally um so what was like the 
what was your entry point into like actually playing music you know you're listening to a lot of music whether it's like from your stuff from your parents collection and watching vh1 documentaries when when does it come into play that you know you jump on an instrument and either playing in bands or writing music of your own yeah so my i have uh i have three older siblings one of them moved away at a pretty young age um but my two older brothers uh robert and wiles they i can't remember if they did this kind of simultaneously or it just like kind of happened in some sort of uh you know, staggered or whatever, but Robert started playing guitar and Wiles started playing drums. And I was, you know, I was over here like absorbing all of these documentaries and absorbing all these stories about bands. And I was like, guys, we're going to start a family band. <laughs> I like, I was like, I don't care if it kills us, we're going to do it. And so I, I was like, I'm going to learn bass. And so I, I started learning bass. They very, uh, subsequent or very quickly kind of dropped out of playing those instruments but as a result like those instruments were sitting around the house like now and so I was like well I'm gonna play drums I'm gonna I'm gonna try and play drums I'm gonna try and play guitar um I think it was something I was like always trying to pick them up and play and make some noise and really really keen to like have a band and be in a band and so I think when I came to an age when that was something feasible I was like so gung-ho about it I was like how do we get you know, I was, how do we get people over to play all these instruments? Cause we got, how do I get on VH1? <laughs> <laughs> That's rad though, too, that you had like that opportunity to kind of explore the instruments, like with your brothers in the beginning too. something yeah. low stakes where you probably had a lot of like freedom to just like explore what you were doing yeah, and not have to like worry about necessarily the judgment of other folks around you of their like songwriting or skills at that time. Totally. Well, and I mean, I am, I'm so grateful to my brothers for so many different reasons, but in the context of these instruments, like, you know, they, they inspired me to start playing, you know, they were like, we're doing this thing. I saw this opportunity and I was like, I want to do this. But not only that, they brought me music. They, they all went off to school in different places and they would come back and just be like, here's a hard drive of music, like take it all off. Or like, have you heard about this? Like, I mean, I think my brother, one of my brothers, I remember very clearly showing me uh, 50 cent and being like, this is this album. You need to listen to this. And I was like, and it wasn't, it wasn't singular by any means. It wasn't like, Oh, only hip hop or only indie or only this thing. They were just so all over the board because they weren't, they weren't, I don't think they were coming from it from like a, they weren't, I wouldn't really describe them as musicians. They weren't thinking like that. They weren't like, oh, we just like this kind of thing or we like this one thing. They were just looking strictly by taste or by what someone might have showed them and they would bring that back to me. And so I was just like, this is like, yeah, they're the reason why I think I got, uh, why I started really expanding out into so many different genres of music. Yeah. It's nice when you have like people that are offering you something like pretty wide yeah. and not just like locked into one specific genre totally for sure just to like inform either what you're you're writing or listening to yeah and it's like yeah especially when you have like those older folks that like have their finger on a different pulse of like whether they're going to college or you know like people actually going to shows and stuff when you're younger so yeah and you know in in no in no sort of i don't mean this in any sort of uh uh, attacking way but just a, a more relevant taste or a more relevant approach to music. Like I think all of these things, all of that music that I found from like my mom and my dad were definitely very important to me and very formative, but don't really, to me now, like don't really hold any relevance to like, or at least at the time it was like, 
the Beatles aren't haven't been the Beatles for over half a century at yeah. this point, or, or close to you know what I mean right. like that all of those things like I was like I can't go and see the doors live no. like I, I can't go and see these bands and so I think what my brothers did was sort of bring it to a more uh, current like level for me of like all right this is all happening right now and like yeah. it, it's happening all around you and you start to look like oh like I remember going to a high school battle of the bands as a middle schooler and kind of just being like oh man like these are these are kids who are like not much older than me all playing like rad music like yeah. really rad music yeah um, it's important when you get to see someone doing the thing that you want to do yeah so what's up like as far as you know you picking up these instruments how long was it before you actually started maybe composing music of your own or were you more just trying to like get your chops on each instrument and mm. figure out how to like use them whether like you were playing in other people's bands or or whatever yeah i mean i so i i played in a or i tried to be in like the orchestra and the band at my school uh in orchestra it was cello and band it was uh percussion okay and i did not do very well in those contexts like i think i i immediately had this like kind of guttural response to being told how to do this thing like i took a few lessons on on bass and i really liked my bass teacher like he was this guy who's just a musician in a band like really nice really chill very much like yeah we can teach you scales or like i can just teach you the songs that you want to learn whatever you want to do it's your time and your instrument like and i definitely i was more uh keen on writing stuff i was yeah. like i don't I, I didn't even think about the theory part of it i didn't think about like the technique of it i was like i just want to start making noise because i like i want to i want to make music i want to make songs i've i'm hearing things in my head that i want to like translate you know and obviously down the line that i'm <laughs> relearning a lot of like theory-based stuff but i was very uh it was very hard to get me an orchestra it, like to read music that kind of stuff so i mean probably around what was that? It was middle school. I think I had like my first little basement garage band and when I was like 11 or 12, you know, and we had a piano player, uh, my friend Peter Dorman, who was this incredible piano player. I was like enamored by the way he would sit down and he could be like, I can play everything from like Mozart to Led Zeppelin to, you know, like, I was like, can you, can you, can you play the intro to light my fire? And he was like, oh, yeah, it's like, and I was like, all right, man, we're, we're going to be playing music together now. Uh, and then my friend, uh, Haley Killam played drums and she was on, she was on drums. And so it was the three and I played guitar and we would have people kind of come in and out, like bang around on stuff. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah. So would you be like the singer? In no, that no, type no, of project. No. Did, no, did you no. Uh, did you pursue your your singing dreams? It ne it didn't happen in that project. No, okay. I was like I, that that never really came to came to fruition in the way that I imagined it to come to fruition at all. But it was it was like instrumental kind of stuff, and we were just we were, it, mostly jams. I think somewhere on a hard drive here, I have the first song that I ever recorded with that band. It's like one mic and it has a song called like Roses in the Winter. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I had a, like a slide. I was like, I, I had discovered a slide and I like, there's just slide guitar horribly all over that song. Um, so that was my, that was my limited contribution to that project. <laughs> <laughs> so like what did, uh, how did things progress from there? Were you always somebody that was, uh, kind of geeking out on the gear from a pretty young age like did you 
I don't know, did you assemble some sort of like engineering skills from or interest from a pretty young age as far as even trying to like record your band in the garage or whatever? Yeah. I don't I don't think of myself as like a particularly technical minded person. Like I, I think I'm I, I took stuff apart as a kid and like I was interested in how to record, but I don't think it was necessarily the like input to gain to output to like that part wasn't what was drawing me the point was like oh cool i want to make a record i want to make i want to record this and make a capture this moment and like also just the opportunity to be around people making music and kind of being involved in that and facilitating that that really excited me um and even with that first band or whatever that basement project like i i got like a little tashcam recorder that plugged into Cubase on like a really old, like, you know, barely run. I think it was a compact. I don't even like is, you know, and we record one mic in with that. Um, so that was like starting, starting to get around. But I think the thing that really sent me over the edge was uh, Daniel Johnston for sure. I watched some documentary about him, the devil and Daniel Johnston that talked all about his home recordings. And I remember when we moved, I was 12, we moved to Colorado Springs and I went to a thrift store there and uh, the guy had a four-track recorder, and I went in, and I was like, hey, man, like, what's up with that four-track recorder? And he was like, hey, it's, I think it's selling for, like, you know, I'm trying to sell it for, like, 60 bucks, but if you can pull together 20 bucks, I'll sell it to you. And I was like, all right. And so I, like, went out, left, you know, next couple of weeks, I did all the little side gigs. I was like, mom, can I, like, mow the lawn? And I started mowing lawns for other people, doing that kind of thing. <laughs> went back the next, uh, like, you know, a couple of weeks later and was like, Hey man, so like I was wondering if you're like you know would you'd still sell me that tape recorder? He's like, oh yeah, what did I what did I say I would sell it to you for? He's like, well I I I don't know. I was like really shy, you know. I was like I don't know, man. Like you, you know, it's sixty bucks, but I, I got twenty. He's like, oh yeah, that's right. I'll I'll yeah. I said I'd sell it to you for twenty bucks. Yeah, let's do it. He gave me this Yamaha four track recorder, and when I discovered how to like multi track that moment of being like cool, I'm gonna put one line down, yeah, and then put another layer on and another layer, I just lost my mind like in the best way i got so excited like being able to build a song and then play it back and be like oh all those parts are me but i can do this with other people too you know like and show friends like okay we can record your guitar one and then or loop an idea and then do this and like that just got me so excited because the tools the tool of that was just like i can help people write music i can help people capture music and yeah it just it, the gloves are off at that point. <laughs> yeah. And especially, I guess if you're not like super obsessed necessarily with just making your own music and you just like love the act of recording, then yeah. you really are there just serving that and helping other people, which I'm assuming at such a young age, you know, you were probably one of, uh, you know, not many that like knew how to do that in some capacity. Yeah, totally. So did you have like a lot of friends that were kind of just down for you to, like fuck around and like record whatever they were, were working on or like how do you feel like you kind of like developed your your skill set yeah no that's a, a good question i i think in when we that was right when we moved to colorado so i was 12 years old and i was in middle school and i uh yeah i mean i had a, I had a pretty i mean like everyone it was a fucking tough time and in, in school it was not something that really came naturally to me like the social aspect of that at least yeah. in like like the social scene. And so I feel like I was always, I had like two or three close friends usually is usually how it always panned out. At least in that, in that school in particular, it was like I had maybe a 
couple friends who played music, a couple friends who were uh, sort of more in like art department, and then like maybe one or two just like ride or die homies who maybe not related to music or not involved in music, but definitely like people who I'd always hang out with. And yeah, there were there were definitely some people in that realm that were musicians, and we would they'd come over to my house, I'd go over to theirs, and we'd kind of mess around, you know, play around with that kind of thing. And I don't know, I don't feel like I really got the the bigger community aspect of music until I went to college and really started being around people who were like playing music all the time. You know, they were like, this is what, this is my thing, this is what I'm doing. You know, I feel like with those other friends, it was sort of like, yeah, it's something I'm doing or like I'm <clears throat> kind of fucking around, but like I don't really, there's, there was no, it was very unguided. It was, yeah, there was no, there was no sort of motivation, at least that I know, was aware of, of like, we're trying to complete a song or we're trying to like do anything beyond just like make a bunch of noise. Not a bunch of like creative inspiration around you until like yeah. hitting college really. Yeah, for sure. So this is that four track then pretty just like significant to you or like even just like you growing up then and having this thing that was at least like a constant for you when you moved to like a new place like were you just always kind of like geeking out on your recorder and like writing stuff of your own then since you like yeah were just kind of like not not super getting super wild with like the the social circles and shit like i would imagine that that was like a nice thing for you to have or along or like around that time something to cling to for sure. Yeah, it was definitely a, po a point of comfort. It was definitely like a friend. The four track kind of came in and out of my life. I think the more significant part that that played was the realization that like I can make, s I can capture songs and it's not necessarily just, I don't have to like play it all. At this, I don't have to find a band or yeah. I can do that if I want to, you know, that's something. And that I think really, I mean, I, I, I later sort of graduated into like I think Ableton was the first program that I went like before. I mean, Cubase was the very first one, but I never really used it. It was like just record and play it back. But Ableton was that thing sort of after. But even when I opened up Ableton, I was like, oh, this looks familiar. This looks this looks like, I mean, there's more tracks. There's more of these things. But that four track recorder was that like the raw stripped down, like you can't do as the editing is a little harder to do. You have to play the song sort of like all the way through yeah. and then play it all the way through again. And you really get to get nice and intimate and under the covers with every track of your song, <laughs> which is, uh, I, I think it was really, really important for me. It was like something to dive into something to kind of like hide away in. Did you seem to enjoy the recording of music just as much as playing then? Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I think looking back on it now, I'm, I think maybe even more, you know, the, I, I don't know that I, I mean, it's hard for me to label, like put musician first to something that I am. I definitely would say I can I play music, but like the recording and sort of dissecting and also producing, like coming up with ideas or being and like, oh, let's try maybe on this track, I'll try a tambourine and you play it back and it doesn't work or the like, yeah. tinkering part of that was really something that I now really kind of uh, associate with and connect with. Yeah, so if I asked you, like, are you a musician or are you an engineer? Do you feel like you identify more on that engineer-producer side of things? A little bit. I think I would I would duck the whole thing entirely and say I'm a facilitator. But, uh, <laughs> I, yes, absolutely, for sure, yeah. But also nice that you've, like, always been tinkering around with, 
with instruments it seems like because i gotta imagine that like is a big part of informing your you know the way you do approach recording and producing absolutely and i mean going back to the music theory thing like when i really started recording and producing music for people it became so clear to me that like knowing music theory would just be another tool that would help me facilitate for other people and that be and that's like became something for me i was like oh right so i don't need to i don't need to know this music to like flex i don't need to know this music in order to be to validate myself i don't need to know theory to play the play music that i want to play but what it does do for me is it allows me to com- can can allow me to communicate with some of the artists that i'm working with and just make things easier and that's really what i'm trying to do is to try and facilitate and be like what's the what's the easiest and most comfortable way to make and capture this piece of art that you're working on um and music theory was one of those things i was just like all right yeah like if i can speak this this will just give me one more tool to lean on and it's like sometimes i work with bands and that's not necessary at all we can be like oh yeah the part before the thingy with the little whistle like yeah and you're like oh yeah exactly totally but then other times it's like yeah right before the uh right before the chorus you know in this we're gonna do a key change here we're gonna do and you're like okay cool like I, i can follow along and not feel like I'm in the idiot in the room yeah or, or just slowing it down really you know I think that's what I don't want to do I'm like I don't want to slow anything down right right and it's nice that you I think it's cool that you have both experiences too of like mm-hmm. learning the music theory later on yeah. so that you can like relate to both experiences with people like you're saying it's not always going to be communicated in the most technical of terms with people like no. lots of lots of great musicians that we know don't don't speak in that that language or know how to read music or like understand the theory. Totally. Yeah. And even when they're, when they do, it's like, you're not, it's not going to make or break the situation. It's not like, Oh, well you don't understand what a whole tone theory is. Well then we can't do this. And you're like, that's not really how that, that's not how that goes down. (laughs) Is one of the things you enjoy about like producing and engineering is that you get to work on so many different projects and you're not like locked into just maybe the music that you're writing or projects that you're actually like involved in the instrumentation of, of playing in. Yeah, absolutely. It ke- I mean, it, it keeps me uh, guessing and, or like learning in a, in a really fun and exciting way where um, I think when the time that this really became aware to me was I was working with this band called Silent Temple and they are like a like prog rock, maybe like I think they would say there's some element of like fairy magic in the music that they make just completely outside of the realm that I know or understand. Like I think Genesis is like the closest thing to a band that I was like, oh yeah, I know who that is. Or like, yes, you know, but they're like a few, I feel like there are a few steps like left of whatever that lane is. Yeah. And I just remember sitting down for the first, we met and then hadn't seen them live. And we met to do, uh, I think we did three days of recording. We sat down to do basic tracks and got all the mics up, you know, whatever, sat down and they started playing. And I was like, oh, I'm so out of my depth here. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so lost. And I was like, oh, and it's like really got me going. Like I've never, I don't think I've really heard anything like this. And so my point of reference for like, for, for how to communicate was, I was still trying to figure that out. You know, yeah. they're, they're pretty technical. They, 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 they definitely speak some kind of theory lingo, but they also were, you know, could, we could talk in more boiled down terms. Um, and so I just got really excited about being like, oh, this is a new thing and I need to, learn this i think that happens a lot for me which is really fun um about like making music with people well it also seems like you're i don't know just like the 
the catalog of music that you sent me over with that that Spotify playlist, it all seems like it's it's pretty spread out in like some regard, you know. Sure. As sure. far as like genre stuff. Yeah. Either, even if it's just like a lot of it is on the under maybe the umbrella of rock, it's a lot of different styles of rock you know like the swiss army wife stuff is probably some of my favorite stuff that you've worked on that that stuff just uh i don't know resonates heavy and like speaks to like a lot of the bands that i love and i think i think especially in in portland oregon i can find maybe uh the emo pop punk thing i think is a little actually like underserved here like there's not a lot Sure. of it sure from my experience yeah. like i know that there's like a few bands doing it but this is definitely i feel like a, a city that leans more like dirty indie rock or psych rock totally you know totally. In, as far as that stuff so i love i love that swiss army wife the stuff yeah. that you worked on and i i like the drum sounds you get or something that's like i think speak like loudly oh. as far as like when i'm listening to your the tracks that you've worked on it always feels like they have like a really strong presence i feel like that's like a great example of that stuff just because it's so important to that music that the that the drums sound great intricate or like the most frustrating part of the process is is locking in drum sounds uh yeah i I mean i think it's something i learned uh particularly like starting to do mixes for people and there's you know there's varying levels of like how what playback volume should be at when you send a mix to someone you know it's like usually gonna be quieter um so it's always like you send a mix to someone you're like hey just turn this up a little bit more but for like the first couple, I mean, maybe even more, so many records that I made and mixed for people, it would be like, oh man, the drums, it's like they don't hit the way they think, like, like I was mixing them quiet. I would kind of like bring, make sure like the kick was coming through and the snare, but like I was usually trying to like blend and go for sort of a more smooth mix of things and not have, I guess just, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was kind of like, oh yeah, like I think that sounds right. And then you get it back and like kind of consistently it was like, what's up with the drums? Can you turn the kick drum louder? Can you turn these things up? So I just started mixing with that in mind first. And um, a few people really kind of helped me out with that. There's this um, engineer named Patrick Champagne. He mostly does hip hop stuff, but he sat me down one day and we uh, we met working at the Hallowed Halls, but he sat me down and was like, all right, here's how we're going to do this. Pick the things that you want to cut through the most and start with those. If it's drums, start with drums and make those elements sort of just a little bit less than what the loudest point is going to be. And so then when you come, when it comes to mixing everything else in, you're kind of, you're, you're tent pulling the song with that instrument. You know, sometimes people will say, do the vocals first, mix the vocals as loud, like with pop music in particular, it's like, put the vocals up first, make them sound awesome, put them, let them take up as much space as you want and then put everything else around it. And then that way 
that that's the thing that's at the forefront. That really helped. I think also I worked with this guy named Billy Anderson, who's pretty big in the metal scene. Um, he did like Dope Smoker and uh, I think he worked on Houdini and like kind of like older grunge and rock, but like really defined uh, like a, a genre of metal. And his recording techniques for recording drums were insane. Like he'd have three mics on a kick drum, maybe four, and he would do top and bottom on toms and he would even do this thing where when we were working at the hallowed halls he would set up the drum set mic it all and then set up a pa system and send the kick and snare through the pa so you got more kick and snare in the room mics that he had set up you know just like crazy things like that and that kind of treatment i think put into my head like oh you can really if you want something to sound huge make it sound huge at the capture that's like one that's one way to do it you know um well yeah that makes sense too because like it's it's also like that whole feel thing like if you can get as much as the feel captured in those like when you're doing the live tracking yeah that's that shit always seems to like translate heavy like when when you don't have to do like many overdubs with the the drums and bass shit kind of going on i feel like reference tracks are always like Mm. a big deal right when you're working with like a new project or having people shoot you those reference tracks over is there ever situations where somebody will send you a a reference track and you can quickly identify this is like not something i can do for you Ooh, i don't I can't think of a time, at least off the top of my head, where that's that's happened. I've definitely gotten reference. I'm 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 very. It's very rare that I'll be like I can't do something or, or I can't do something for you. I'll, I'll usually what I'll be like if I if I'm not sure about it is I'll like ask some questions and be like, okay, so what what's the vibe here? What what's the what is this referencing? Is this referencing what you want your vocals to sound like? Because usually when something comes up and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is, I'm like, sick. All right, let's go to the Oracle, type it in figure out like like how did how how did blink 182 record their vocals and then you like learn something and you try it and sometimes i mean sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't yeah. and you know there there there's push and pull between all of those things but it's um i think that's one of the things that i like about working on such a variety of music too is like someone sends me a reference track and i'm like i have no idea what's going on here <laughs> i have no idea and i need to step it up you know, I need to I need to figure this out because it's what people are paying me to do and like bring me in to do is to help them facilitate whatever that idea is. Yeah. With the Swiss Army Wife stuff too, like I mean, first Alex Estrada, he he mixed that record, and but they came to me with references and sent me demos. And I remember one of the things about getting references or demos is like sometimes it's like I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what this is. And sometimes I'm like I know exactly who you're listening to. And, and I, not in a like condescending way or in a like know-it-all way, but in a, like I, like they're listening to records that I'm listening to. So this is going to be, this is going to be smooth sailing or at least not, at least like we're going to be on the same page artistically, which will make things just go even better. It'll be like, oh, right. You probably want some like really dry vocals is going to be the thing here. And like really, you know, punchy drums is going to be the thing. And like, let's, let's put those things at the forefront to, you know, kind of mark some of the bands that I take influence from too, you know? Yeah. On the flip side of that, is it difficult to kind of find your footing when it is something that is like pretty unfamiliar to you or like 
what will like is your approach just immersing yourself in like as much of that music as possible and like different people's recordings of that type of music or uh yeah i mean it's definitely it's definitely intimidating but i think there's also this part of me that like i'm not gonna I'm not going to, I'm never going to like lie to someone and say that I know about a thing that I don't know. And so I usually just try and be honest and be like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not really sure I'm getting the reference. Um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely do my, try and do my homework and study up, but I don't want to, I'm never going to be like, I've never heard this band. I'm going to go listen to a bunch of this music that sounds like you and then come in and try and act as if like, I understand anything about what you're like, you're doing. Cause it's, that's just not what I'm that's not what I'm about. I'm also like not going to lie, yeah. to, not lie to the people that who have trusted me with their art. I'm like, you know, I, I don't get this, but like, let's figure it out. Is your preference as far as like working with people, is your preference always that you get to like be there from the beginning as far as like the recording, like engineering, producing, mixing, like an entire project and getting to see it through opposed to maybe being that person that someone just like records drums with or is just doing overdubs with uh no i i don't i I think my preference is whatever that person needs whatever whatever someone thinks that i can like help them out with i'm happy to do and like i don't have a first and foremost it's the the artist's work like they can i'm i don't really have an ego about like this is gonna be this is my thing like even even when it comes down to mixing i'm like i will do what i think instinctually makes sense yeah but if you send if you send back and be like yeah you you mess this up i'm like i you're absolutely right <laughs> like you no matter what the what what they ask for it's like yeah again i'm just a vessel just a just a, a way to facilitate someone doing that thing and if they just need they just need drums done sick let's do drums you just want to you want to record for two hours some weird ad-libs yeah. whatever you need i got you like i'm i'm here for that is there maybe like any sort of different attachment to projects that you have sure more hands-on front to back kind of oh sure and i mean that that comes from like the amount of time i spend with the people you know and i think there's something one of the things that i would say is consistent across all of uh the records that are on that playlist is like all those people i consider like pretty dear friends yeah and like we and whether we were friends before or after like whether we were friends before or not like by the end of it it's like we've spent so much time together and to be that vulnerable with someone and be like, I want you to, I mean, even just listening to someone's voice out of like out of musical context, yeah. which I have to do to do stuff like that's, that's intimate. That yeah. is very intimate. And like to be trusted with that, I feel so not, not only just like grateful, but like, I'm like, wow, you're, you're trusting me with this most intimate version of yourself and like the art that you're making. Like I can't like, like I, I have to be as careful and, blessed to do or like you know you know it's just so it's so intimate yeah dealing with so many emotions and then also you're dealing with people trying to capture the emotions of like their original idea that might not even be like coming to them naturally in that moment too and watching people kind of like struggle through those things totally totally is there what what about for yourself matt like is there days that you come into the studio and you're you know you've got a tracking day or like a mixing day and maybe you're not having like the best day. Is it easy for you to kind of like flip the switch and and be in the mode that you need to be in to like facilitate that session? For for tracking sessions, yeah. Like I think when I like, there's enough going on in a tracking session 
where I, I think I'm pretty comfortable putting whatever's going on aside and remind, I mean, that's definitely something I've honed over time. It didn't just happen, but it was like, yeah. as time goes on, I think I'm becoming way better at like not compartmentalizing, but just being able, even on the worst day, go in and sit down in a studio and I'm like, God, life's fucking pretty good if this is what I have to do right now. Yeah. You know, like if this is the stress, if, if my stress is like trying to get someone to show up for a session like that, I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful. Mixing, definitely, because mixing is a little more solitary. You don't have as much like there, there's a lot of detail and a lot of things going on, but it's all singular. And I'd say it's the clo it's a little closer to what I would consider like an art form where I'm thinking of it as like, I will, like I said, like go at it kind of from what I think's natural and try and get something that feels good. But I mean, I have just as many doubts as the next person. You know, we were talking about yeah, artists. A lot and of self-doubt. Self <laughs> there, there was one of the, I think one of the best pieces of mixing advice I saw on a, I don't know, on some sort of social media vibe. And I, like, it was like, if you're, if everything sounds off, you know, if you're sitting there mixing and like you spent hours and hours and you can't get anywhere, this is the one trick that will help you get past that. Get up and leave. Go for a walk. Walk away like you were the hardest. We are all the hardest people on ourselves. And when you get to that point where you think everything sucks, the reality is that it doesn't. If you're if you care about it that much and you've been working on it that much, there's probably things that can there's always things to be better. But like you're doing great. Yeah. You're doing awesome. You know, like you're, we're going to, you're going to get through it. And like any of the things that are wrong with your mix, any things that are wrong with like part of your song, it, you're, you've gotten that far already. So it's like, do it. Yeah. You're, you're doing fine. It's such a solid piece of advice for most things too. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's that video game shit where you like lose the same level 50 times yeah. and then you take a break for like a day or even an hour and you go back to it and you crush it the first time. Totally. Totally. Well, I'm sure you experienced this in like in hockey too. Like that part of practice, like you go and do a single thing over and over again and you may not see instant um, results, but then you're in the middle of a game or you're in the middle of a practice or something and you do that thing without even thinking about it. You know, that sort of like you work really hard at something and you don't get a immediate return and then you sort of see it without even realizing it, you know, down the line you're just like, oh wow, like I'm doing this thing or wow, I, I just was able, I never even, I didn't even think about it. It just happened. Yeah. Also just like the importance of like that ear fatigue thing, right? Like totally. how many, do you have like a, a pretty strict limit on how many hours you will like mix something in a day or like sit yeah. and like sit there for like in that particular stretch of time? Like, do you try to cap things? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I kind of do somewhere between five and eight depending on how much I have to do. And like, you know, there's certain things I can streamline where like if, I, if it's an album's worth of songs, there's definitely some processes that like I can get through, like doing an album's worth of songs with drums. It's like, I can kind of get a, a nice starting point where I'm like, okay, I know they're, they're all gonna kind of hit at a similar level. And there might be things that change from song to song, whether that's like, maybe it's one's more roomy or one's more tight sounding, like, you know, whatever that is, but I can get sort of things streamlined in, in sort of a, not a template, but a, definitely a similar thing across songs. And so what I'll do sometimes is like focus on one song really hard, get the drums and bass kind of locked in. And then I might hop to another song and do that across the board. Or maybe it's like, oh, I'll just do vocals or I'll just do tuning today. I'll just go in and tune or I'll just do editing today. 
And then once that, once I kind of like exhaust myself in that, I'll switch to another task or another thing and kind of hop around. Yeah. Also, yeah, get, get up and go for a walk, <laughs> get up and go for a walk, like just move around. Like I, the more and more, I mean, yeah, not to sound like a geezer or anything, but like the more and more I do this, I'm like, I getting up and leaving, moving around, taking breaks, you know, it's just, just breathe. It's all going to be, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And as much <laughs> as you can like streamline your process as well, right? Like totally. it just yeah. makes you like, feel like it's less of a burden or yeah. stress. Yeah. You get that, um, muscle, it's like muscle memory and, and that flow state, you know, like, I don't know if you're, I'm trying to recall who talks about this, but there's like the idea of getting in your flow state as an artist where you're not thinking about technical you're just thinking you're just doing it yeah it's not a it's not a yeah it's not a oh i need to do this this and this it's this is how this sounds yeah and, and you push the faders up and you do it or you move the mouse up and you do just it. having your shit ready locked in so that anytime you can kind of like yeah just hit record yeah too. absolutely and you don't have to worry about the stresses of like oh i gotta set up this mic absolutely this before i can actually like capture this thing that i'm trying to communicate yeah that makes me think about you were asking earlier about like the technical side of it. And I think there was a, a span of time when I started working in a, a commercial studios when I was like really obsessed with the technical side of recording and was like, it was almost to a detriment where it took precedent over everything else. And I was like, you know, we got to have this much time for setup and this much time for this. And the more and more like I've done that, I'm like, man, I just want it to be easy so we can like get yeah. it done because like no one likes waiting around for four hours for some Dude, to set up some microphones is like not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You're like everyone show up at 10 a.m. All right. Everyone gets there, load in, and then all right, now hurry up and wait. Because yep. we got we got to set up all at these things. At 3 p.m. we're gonna actually start recording these drums. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. As far as like developing disciplines for what you're doing, engineering wise, is there I don't know. Is there shit that you like to, to keep up on regularly? Like whether it's like podcast insight or like blogs of about different gear or just like, is there anybody that's just like a super huge, like mentor or influence to you, whether you have like personal contact with them or whether it's from afar? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I've always feel a little bit like a student and always a little bit like a, uh, like I don't know. I didn't go to, I didn't go to school for any of this. And so I always kind of feel a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. am I doing any of this right? Um, so I'm always kind of looking for input and guidance and, and just other perspectives. But, um, you know, I listen to like recording studio rock stars, which is a based out a guy based out of Nashville who just interviews recording engineers, but also musicians. And they just sit down and, and talk about stuff. Uh, tape notes is another one that's more kind of songwriter based. Uh, tape op is uh, actually, I just got my new, uh, thing of tape op today uh larry crane he like okay does all yeah. the, does all the write-ups he does gear reviews but it's also just all sorts of interviews and all sorts of people whether it's engineers musicians producers uh anything in between in that realm there's a guy so there's i mean a lot of people have really bestowed so much information upon me that i'm so grateful for but there's there's a guy named uh, brandon eggleston who's yeah. ba do you know brandon yeah oh yeah he monster he's a monster and, oh my yeah, gosh so good. Oh, and his, I mean, his demeanor is so, like, he's such a nice guy. Like, he's such, he's so grounded and so level and, like, is, could, is one of the best engineers I know, but simultaneously is the first guy to be like, 
all right, fuck it. Just put one mic up and we'll do it. You know what I mean? Like if, if whatever, whatever needs to, whatever needs to get the job done, he's so artist centric. And I think that was a big inspiration for me coming out of working with some more like commercial guys who were like a little more like old hats, you know, they were like, this is the proper way to mic a kick drum. This is this. And that like, I, I was into that, but I was also kind of like, oh man, this just sounds like rules that I have to make everyone else follow. And I hate telling people what to do. Yeah, I hate that. And he was one of the first people who I was like, not only does he have this incredible discography of work that he's done, where I'm like, all right, man, so like you, you, you know, you work with Moz Mouse. It's and a pretty Danny decent Warhol's. catalog of tunes. Oh, that the Mountain Goats, man! Yeah. Like he's like he's got this like rad catalog. But you meet him, and he's like the most down to earth, most level headed, most like, um, okay, what do we? What's the problem? How do we fix it? How do I facilitate that? And like that, I remember I kind of did an interview with him like this once and he's just I like I remember my head exploding just being like right like all that matters is what comes out of the speakers and that your the artist that you're working with is able to do what they need to do you know and like that I think about that all the time just like all right what what do I what do they need yeah and how do I give them that well I think also so much and this gets brought up on the podcast a lot but especially as uh as we all get a little bit older and more have more experiences like within all of this, the hang becomes just as important as anything else happening. Like you want to do this with people you enjoy being around totally. too. And like that goes to, you know, to what you're saying and facilitating like a good experience is not just you being fucking rad at being able to capture all the instruments. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like are you fun to be around for this experience? Well, sure. And like, no one, no one's making, no one's making much money doing this. Like just full disclosure. Like if you're trying yeah. to, if you're trying to get into music to make money, like if you, unless short of going to LA, even, and even there, like you've got to hustle a bunch, like no one's making like hand over fist doing this. And so we we're doing it cause we love it. Yeah. And that, I mean, that sounds a little bit like a cliche, but that's some truth to it. And that like, if you're gonna spend this much time doing something and this much energy into something, it has to nourish you. Like it has to make, like I, I definitely feel nourished by the interactions that I have with people when I'm working with them. And like, I don't think I would keep, if if I just was consistently having bad interactions and like not feeling good walking away from a session every like every day, I, I don't think that I would still do it. Cause I'd be like, man, I just I can find some other way and I'd probably make more money doing it. Yeah. Speaking of fun people to be around, I've, uh, I've only got to hang with Karma Rivera a couple of times, but I feel like her energy is, is so infectious Yeah, to be around. Um, yeah. What's the experience been like working with her? Because that, that you're so nasty track is, uh, that one is killer, man. That, that has been a song since I've been introduced to it has been something that's, you know, it's in my DJ library now for sure. Like it's oh, yeah. just absolutely banger. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a fucking fun time. I think the, the first time, I mean, I, the first time I saw Karma perform, I was running sound for her at, um, it was this block party that, um, snack block threw back in, I think it was in 2020. It might've been 21 by that point. No, it was 2020. We threw like a block party and Savila played, Karma Rivera played. Um, I think the house of Ada was there, maybe house of Flora. Um, it was just this like awesome block party in the middle of, uh, you know, kind of all the protests that were happening that summer. And we threw it on the waterfront by the firehouse and karma got up there and it was boiling hot. It had rained the night before. 
so it, it was the day after Juneteenth. So there was it was it rained all night, um, and then it was like humid and hot. And Karma gets up there, and from the moment she gets up there, she's already in the crowd. She like walks up on stage yeah. and just crawls over whatever <laughs> we have, and she's in the crowd, like you know, talking with everyone, but also like kind of like in in the best way, like goading people to have a good time. Like I feel like there's this element of like, you know. I'm going to, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to be my truest self, which she always is. And then also be like, come on, everyone, like, let's have fun. Let's like, what are you doing here if you're not having a good time? And I love that about her. Like you're saying, she's just infectious. And so, so just, uh, yeah, so talented, so driven and so good at being able to turn any situation into, um, into a positive thing. Um, you know, fast forward a few months when I met her for the first time, she read, I think the first thing we ever talked, she like pulled tarot for me. She, we were like, there was a deck around and she was like, all right, we're going to do this. And she like pulled tarot and and midway through it, she goes, what's your, what's your sign? I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Pisces. And she goes, shut up. You're, you're a Pisces. I'm a Pisces. And we were just like, yeah, we're just doing our moody thing over here. And yeah, we just, uh, we just kind of hit it off from there. Um, and then I ran into her actually at an Isabeau show. It was her Isabeau's release party at the Alberta Abbey not too long ago. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about music and she's like, I'm trying to do a bunch of, I'm trying to like shift what I'm doing right now. Like she's um, kind of get a little more dancey, a little more of that. I was like, well, why don't you come over and we'll like just fuck around, pull up some beats, see what happens. And we made a few things and we set up this kind of weekly, I was telling you about this earlier, like this weekly thing where we just meet up every like once a week and go through some music. And I, that would, I'd make like a folder of beats for her. We'd kind of go through. Sometimes we'd use them. Sometimes they wouldn't. You know, it's just kind of just an opportunity to like mess around and make some music. And yeah. I think the original idea for "You So Nasty" came out of came out of that. And it was like her. Uh, there was like maybe a kick drum and a, and that bass line, and she did all the like ad libs over it and everything. And it was like it was just, it was just amazing. It's like she's such a talented like creative person to see her be like, all right, yeah, we're just gonna do this, this, and this, and kind of say it and then do it too like do the follow through of the exact thing that you're talking about was fucking amazing you so nasty 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 no pick me i'm so picky without trippy i can make your body sticky icky 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 i'll leave your neck with hickeys no tricky got you busting like a blicky blouse oh well you might need a towel i slid in i can tell it's been a while ain't nobody cuffing you put me on trial wanna see what's up with you keep me on dial Well, that's the other cool insight that that you get like yeah. during this process is you get to like watch people like work through their shit and see it come together and see how they think a little bit about those things totally totally did you get into beat making just when you started getting into ableton did you kind of start fucking around with it yeah yeah i think i mean i would i would, I would target it somewhere around like 2008 or 2009 like in high school um kind of discovering like i was in colorado at that time and um, I don't know if you're familiar with like Pretty Lights, like uh, Pretty Lights, Break Science, uh, Michael Minert. I don't know. Um, not, not registering for me. There, he was like an electronic artist. He kind of fell off the map for a little bit, but he, he does sort of like break beat, striven electronic music. It was really big, and I mean, it start, there was a really big scene in like Denver at the time. And I remember hearing, uh, I think it's Finally Moving was one of his tracks, and. Just, you know, some other related things, like Scary Monsters, Nice Sprites, like Skrillex's stuff as well. Like, I remember kind of hearing that and being like, wow, that's, 
I don't even know what to make of that. And like, I feel like when I get that feeling, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like we're gonna, this is completely un, for me, unchartered territory, new stuff, new world. And started like producing in Ableton and um, I had a couple of friends in high school were doing like the logic slash reason thing. And we ended up uh, curating a class together our senior year. So the three or four of us just like made this plan. We're like, we're gonna learn electronic music production and the end result of this class was going to be um, make like a record or like an EP or something. And so we made these like really horribly produced like electronic music <laughs> records. But like we were it, it was cool because we were able to like f like mess around with it. And, and that's where that kind of started for me. So um, when you're DJing, are you playing some of the stuff like some of your produced music? as well as other people's or is it usually just not, not really okay. mostly other people's All music right. I'll, I'll like maybe if i'm really on my game i will make edits of things okay um but i feel like lately i just i just find the music that i like and try and make them work together and yeah facilitate a vibe like what's the vibe i'm going for have you been doing that a long time the dj um it, on and off yeah i so i i think i was djing clubs when i li I lived in holland for like six or eight months and i met this guy there who was a dj and promoter and this was this was after the like music production thing in high school and i was djing a little bit at like college parties but that was uh i mean talk about being out of my element but i went to Ar when i went to arkansas i went from high school in Colorado where I was listening to like, you know, electronically driven kind of house and breakbeat type stuff. And that's what people were playing at parties. That's like what the like dance music was. And then I went to Arkansas and they would have like, you know, dorm room parties or, you know, parties in like off site locations and things. And it was all very like very hip hop based. Okay. And I was just a little out of my element at first and was like, would go there. I thought I knew what I was doing. Just like cleared the dance floor, cleared the room, <laughs> you know, like just, just that, you know, that feeling when you, you're like, you're like, this is going to work. And then it completely tanks. Yep. It was, it was that I was like, okay, cool. Like that was, I was definitely like, oh man, that's going to be, I got to figure some stuff out. Um, DJ is so funny, man. Oh, I've yeah. only been doing it for like the last couple years, like out and about. Mm hmm. But it's just so funny how you can build so much momentum and then just destroy it with one oh, yeah. click of the button with one with one bad track idea. You're like, totally. I fucking ruined the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get it back on track. Yeah. Well, and I think the night that, the, you know, the flip side of that is you can also get it back with one thing. Yeah. And so there's this level of uh, there's this element of endurance, I think, in there where you're like, you're going to, you know, and again, not to get too heady about it but just like in life you're gonna get thrown you're gonna you're gonna fuck it up sometimes yep but like are you gonna make it better do you do you or do you have the persistence and just be like okay yeah i didn't do my best there but um maybe this track you know maybe, maybe it's this one <laughs> and i feel like the key sometimes is to be able to be level or level about it enough to be like okay why was that not working you know, like, yeah, obviously, like, you know, give yourself a little kick. Be like, whatever. Yeah, that wasn't the one. But like, what about that track didn't work? Mm -hmm. And what's the inverse of that? Or maybe not what's the inverse, but what is the thing that's going to work? And you experiment and be like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to try this or I'm going to, you know, maybe try that. And, you know, you you go up and down. It's the yeah. cycles, man. Like sometimes you're just low and you, you, compl you, you just completely bomb it. And then you can turn around and you're like back up again. And people's people's memories are short, too. Yeah. They're not, they're not thinking about I remember the first time I DJed at, at Ron Tom's. Oh yeah. I, uh, I was still pretty, pretty new in DJing 
and I was kind of like of this mindset is like, oh, the well, the DJ, the the floor isn't really full right now. It's pretty early in the night, and I don't want to like waste all of like my favorite like up tempo shit sure. now. But it, it's also like they want to dance, so you have to play one of these songs soon. Right. Like they're not just gonna come to the floor while you're you know you're playing some like some smooth shit. Sure. <laughs> it's like it took it took this woman walking up to me and being like, "Hey, we want to dance. Like, can you play something like a little more upbeat?" And I'm yeah. just like, "Okay, I guess, it's, I guess it's time to like stop holding these on reserve and like really really shift gears here." Totally, totally. There's some there's some component to that, and I don't know if you experience like I mean, there's definitely that thing about like oh no request DJ yeah vibe, um, but I'm like, what what are you doing if if you're not like playing the music that people want to hear because like you can you can sit and make your perfect set i love that i love that from an artistic standpoint but like context is also important and like what are you what do you what's the context that you're playing your music in and how are you uh how are you like facilitating what other people are want to experience whether it's at a lounge or at a show like yeah yeah how different is the experience for you djing versus playing a live set on an instrument Ooh, um, like, do you feel like those are tapping into something pretty similar? I'd say from the performance side, sure. Like getting up on a, I mean, it's not always on a stage, but like getting, being the center of people's attention for a minute, or I mean, maybe not even center, but like part of like a, an experience is there's definitely some consistency there. Like, I think I'm just starting to get back into the like perform or like playing and DJing out. Um, and so I think that part comes really naturally to me, like how to show up to a a venue, how to be at a gig and like set up and do the thing and know, like, I have to have all the things that I need. Like that part overlaps. I think there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more pressure DJing Mm. because you're playing other people's music. You know, you're going back to that facilitating thing. Like, I, I think there is a misconception for people of like, anyone can DJ, anyone can do this and like anyone can but like the hard part is not the beat matching, the gear, any of that. The hard part is reading a room. Yeah. The hard part is selecting the right tracks, like you were saying, and that fear that you're gonna put a damp, like you're gonna put that track on and it's not gonna fly. And like that part of it is so much harder because there's you can plan your sets or you can plan like okay, I'm gonna make this crate, but you don't know until you're there, so it's so instantaneous. Yeah. Um, which can be really great, but also really scary. Whereas with a band, you know, so, all the bands I've ever played in, like we have a set list, right? Or at least we have an idea. We have we have ten songs, and we'll curate it how it feels right. But like we've only got those ten songs, yeah. So if none of those work, like whatever, they don't like us. It's fine. That's the end of the day. But if you, as a DJ, it's like, oh well, you have you have everything, right? You can just pull up, yeah. you pull up <laughs> Spotify or whatever. Like it's not the 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 limits are a little more bountiful yeah and like even if there is some some aspects of improvisation in a band set you know when those moments are sure or like when you're djing yeah it's all like kind of just flying by like you're saying just like reading the room track to track sometimes or like I don't know. I always have, uh, not always, but you know, there's, I have those couple notes where I'm like, Oh, I love how these two tracks are together. Oh, sure. And I'll probably place those together. Sure. But then, yeah, there's so much, everything else is like new transitions from like at that point that are just happening 
right there in the moment. And just like, oh, well, I'm gonna try this. Yeah. And see what happens. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that was fucking. I wish I had that recorded. And sometimes I'm like, I hope no one noticed that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, and it, it's funny because like depending again depending on the context of your set, like the trans. I think as DJs, often people are thinking about the transitions as, as the person playing the tracks, but I don't think that many the people in the audience are thinking about that. They're thinking like, what's the vibe in the room? How does this feel? People aren't like, oh wow, those tracks were perfectly matched and like in phase together and in phrase together and all of those things. I'm like, oh, did that, did that work? Did that make me dance? Did that make me like want to sit here and drink this, you know, old fashioned and chill for a bit? Like whatever the mood is, but like the, yeah, the technical side of it doesn't factor into it for the most part for cons like the consumer, the experience, the yeah. person experiencing it. Do you find that DJing like continues to like push your discovery of music? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm, I, I feel like I'm rediscovering that as this passion that I had. Like when I was in Holland, I was like DJing clubs and stuff and I loved it. I was like constantly taking in new music. And then I think when I moved to Portland, there was a moment when I moved here where I was kind of like, this is, I'm going to like pursue, continue to pursue DJing. I love doing this. Um, but then sort of like I was working in a studio and like the music production side and that kind of took over and I was like playing in more bands and like, it just never really, it didn't really pan out. And then I think, you know, I'm super grateful to karma for this. I feel like she gave me the kick in the butt of like, we're going to do some shows. And I was like, Oh, like I, I need to, like, I love doing this. I love playing music for people. And like, we did a set at, uh, I think it was her Mississippi show and she was like, yeah, so we're going to play Mississippi. Like, and we're opening for uh, this the group called the Snotty Nose Res Kids. And I'm, I'm going to be the opener. My set's only like 30 minutes. So I told them that you would do 30 minutes before me. And this was like a few days before this. And I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, got it. Figure it out. I'll, I'll figure it out. Yes, yeah. whatever you need. Uh, and <laughs> that, like, I think that that definitely started me back in on this, like, Oh, right. I love doing this. I love searching for music. You know, I feel like right now I'm in this thing of really trying to like, uh, explore and, and very intentionally like find and catalog and find music that I think, you know, works together and you know, find those pairs of three. It's like these three songs go together, yeah. these three songs, you know, and think about that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that informs like how I'm interacting with bands too. Cause I'm like, Oh, how am I going to, what this might give me in a dance track might give me inspiration for an indie track. Who knows? Like yeah. who knows how these things go together for sure. I feel like with the DJ sets, you know, they can, they can be lengthy sometimes, you know, yeah. you, get, you get into those like three, four hour sets, but like, do you have a, an ideal amount of time that you would have like a DJ set for? Like, yeah, I, ha I think I've only in my life really only ever done four hour sets, like back in, college you know it's like sh party starts at eight goes till midnight or two yeah. maybe there's someone who takes over at some point but i i like i like the longer sets because you have a little more time to settle in i think with the shorter sets it feels like there's a little more pressure to do the like let me show you that i'm djing mm. kind of vibe where like I, I i don't i don't do a whole lot of like hard cuts i'm a little yeah. more of a i'm a long play you know, like I want them to build. I want to kind of go on this sort of, I want you to be able to feel these kind of journeys of kind of going down and then yeah. building up. And sometimes like, it's nice when you're dancing to a song and you like, you don't even realize that it's changed. Like that kind of slow evolution I'm really more into. And you just, you can't pull that off in an hour. Like you can, but it's like, you maybe get, 
you know, five or six, seven songs in and you're like, damn, this doesn't really feel like much of a journey. So yeah, definitely on the longer side, you know, two, two, three hours is really fun. I feel like two hours maybe. What do, what do you feel? Um, yeah, I love like, I think two hours is great. Those hour long sets though, I feel like are like, yeah, your intentions are so different, you know? Sure. Because like you're saying, like you kind of want to show people that you're DJing, you don't have as much room to like, I don't know, maybe you're a little more um, bound to the crate that you brought because sure. it's such a short amount of time. It's sure. like, oh, I'm going to play these 20 songs and maybe maybe one or two like wild cards, but I really want to make sure all of these get played. Right. Where like those two, three hour sets, I'm kind of like waiting for those moments to come you sure, know, to sure. present themselves to, to throw those in. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. It's... I, I think after three hours, it can be hard to stay engaged sometimes. Sure, totally. you know? Even just stand, you see, you're just, just, just fucking stand there. I'm just like leaning like, on my laptop at that point. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't look at the screen anymore, man. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, like live sound engineering? Are you doing much of that these days or is it mostly the, the in-studio stuff? I do a little bit of it. Yeah, I mix um, I mix at a, a place called 722. It's okay. right over yeah. by Holocene. I'll mix at, um, I'm actually going after this to the 6 to do a run through of that place. And yeah, I've done some stuff around town. I've done like, um, I work with an organization called Friends of Noise mm-hmm. and doing sort of mentoring live sound engineers in that. Shout out Friends of Noise. Yeah, Andre, you're the, you're the best. You're the amazing human being. Um, and just a staple in this music community, you know, Absolutely. like creating the next generation of artists in this town. Do you think that's like important to keeping your chops up on, on that stuff? Like, is that, do you feel like it translates much for doing the in-studio stuff or is that feel completely different? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's some overlap for sure. I mean, just from the basic theory of like setting up mics and stuff, but I, I don't, I don't actively seek out the live things. Like I feel like I prefer, I prefer them in one-off contexts. You know, like if a band asked me to mix them, like a band I worked with, yeah. or I do a lot of work with um, the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art, and they're an arts organization, and sometimes they'll have, like, their performance-based art, so they'll have things that need uh, a sound engineer or something like that, and so it's very... We get, we get like, a, a week to work on it, and we get to build it out. Like, I love, I love a live show when it's done right. I love being able to be like, cool, we worked on this, we, we got the message, like the sound and I've started like do a little bit of lights, like the lights all sync up when like you, all the things weave together and you're like, that was amazing from start to finish, thought out, intentional. Um, and I think one of my sort of reluctance to be like a house person for a single venue, which I've done is like, you don't really, you don't get that and you don't, you don't really get to serve. I don't feel like it serves the artists in the way that like I really want to, like there, there's usually three or four other tasks added to the role. You're like the stage manager, the door person and running sound. And you just get like, I got burnt out on it so quick. And I like, there's that trope about the like grumpy sound engineer (laughs) and you know, we could, we could have a whole other podcast yeah. about that, but like, just, I just like, un, I could, I was like, oh, I could see myself becoming very jaded with this because you don't, it's such a humbling position, right? Like you, you don't, you don't really matter. No one's, no one's like, oh wow, this was aw- this, this sound sounded great. Usually what happens is like something's wrong and it's your fault. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, that's, that's hard. And I think it's, it's part of the gig for sure, but it's something I'm just like, I, I want to be able to 
like facilitate actually support a band not be put in a position where you're sort of spread so thin that you barely get you know you'd be lucky if you get the monitors going yeah i understand the burnout that these people are experiencing sure sure there should definitely be like a grumpy sound engineer podcast (laughs) for sure there definitely is there probably (laughs) (laughs) i just want to give them a hug you know what i mean yeah you know i'm like it's like it's gonna be okay because i think there's obviously the other side to that which is that yeah people get burnt out but also like there's an ego element of it where people want to feel like they're seen people want to feel like they're being heard Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day the show is about the artist and that's part of it and I've definitely encountered sound engineers who are just like not helpful. And that's, or just that's like real too. Ice cold yeah. kind of vibe. And it's just like, okay, I get it. You do this every night with different artists and it's probably pretty frustrating to some degree, but also like we just got here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we don't have any rapport, so it'd be cool if you're. Yeah, you quit know, projecting your past kind. experience onto me. You know, like I'm sorry that the last band was a jerk to you, but like I am not doing that. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Where do you feel like maybe you recognize like the most uh, like growth within yourself from where you like started, or even I don't know, thinking back to like when you first started putting out music that you recorded for for artists that they were like actually sharing to where you're at now like where where do you see the growth or like things that you kind of like maybe recognize within yourself that that weren't there early on that you're you're starting to either catch on to or just things that have been like important to you yeah i think the like figuring out what my role is has been really is like i've really sort of honed in on what that is and what I can do. And, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of different engineers and producers and they all have got their own, they all bring their own thing to the table, whether that's like you have a super technical version, like a Steve Albini, or you've got like a vibe guy, like a Rick Rubin, or, you know, you've got Sylvia Massey, who's just like a playful, like, I just want to make weird sounds and like also make this record. And I think for me, when I realized that facilitating part of it and like really 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 like sitting down with that idea i mean like what does that mean how do i do this for people how do i support them everything else really started to fall into place and that helped me like my i feel like my technical knowledge got really grew you know from when i first started when i think i was spending a lot of time worrying about getting all the proper sounds right and there's this sort of like um just as an aside, like there's this sort of this phenomena sometimes that bands will come to me to do things to like make a record. Right. And they'll be like, well, we trust you. What do you think about like, uh, like how to set up the mic this way or that way? And I'm sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, like I'd prefer this in this context, but to be honest, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Let's, let's figure it out. And I think being able that that's something of being honest with people that I've honed and been like, I, yeah, I, I don't really know. Let's figure it out together. Um, I think at, f- at first I was really afraid to say that. Yeah, I bet. Really, really scared. Discerning like those boundaries of like what your role is in the sessions is like, yeah, just been something you've had to like figure out over time when it's time to speak up. Or like I would imagine you're also in situations where some artists have like a very clear vision for this song and they don't really want much input as far as the composition or the arrangement yeah and then others probably want all of the input that you have to say totally totally for sure yeah and knowing when to we went to chime in on that and we're yeah. not to it's like yeah and not even just in a in a ego-based way but in like is this actually helpful 
you know, because yeah. there are, there's always something, I mean, I feel like sometimes, sometimes I'm like, there's always something that can be said here, but like, is that going to help what's going to, what's going on right now? Yeah. Like, I think that's a, that, that discernment's really important. For sure. Well, right on, dude. I'm yeah. glad we got to jump on the mics. We feel like we've been, you know, DMing back and forth the last couple months, you know, trying to figure right. out a time to to get to hang out so it's nice to get to to pick your brain a little bit about the music and the the records that you've worked on thus far and you know what you got going on right now but uh i want to play it out there's there's a track that i want to play the episode out with and i will find any excuse to keep playing this song and showing love for it it's probably something that i don't know so deep in my rotation last year and listened to it so often um this lifeboat track oh yeah from from sam mendoza just this amazing song yeah you uh you recorded and mixed i did yeah yeah we recorded that at my old studio the river house uh which was up off uh, marine drive and yeah sam reached out to me through our uh friend alexis mahler okay um and he came over and he just he played everything on that song everything you're hearing on that record is sam uh from drums bass guitar vocals all the harmonies like from start to finish and was also super involved in the mixing process um sam is just an incredibly talented incredibly sweet yeah. human being who i'm just like i feel i'm like i'm so grateful that i'm get to be friends with that person i'm like <laughs> Absolutely. amazing yeah is that the only track that you guys have done yeah totally. together yeah. yeah that's also like one of my favorite sounding recordings of yours i think like wow. as far as like overall product like i'll fucking yeah just love the way everything sounds and the delivery of everything just like yeah captured it captured that thing so well wow thank you man i appreciate that that is uh that's a uh, a full representation of what he does you know like his his skill and his musicianship comes through more so than anything i could have done in that record you know because it's yeah but thank you. I appreciate that. That's really nice. Absolutely, man. And I'll put all the links in the uh, episode notes so so people can can keep up with what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, that Spotify playlist is yeah. that is that a public thing? Uh, I can make it public. Well, yeah, you don't have to. No. Well, no. If it fine. is, yeah. I'll put it up there. If, yeah. Um, and I'll put all the other other links for you. And we uh, we end every episode with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is "It's a program." So if we could get the the Matt Larimer. It's a program. We can properly end this thing. All right. It's a program. (laughs) Nailed it, everybody. (laughs) That's Matt Larimer. We're going to play it out with this lifeboat track from Sam Mendoza. And that is the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, or wherever you are listening from. Cool, man. I thought we came in peace
Shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. And big thanks to Drops for making some of my favorite edibles in the game, keeping me fine-tuned with their gummies, whether THC-heavy or CBD-heavy. Great for stress and solid sleep. Find them at your favorite local dispensary. Appreciate the support. More info on drops in the episode notes as well. Stay up. Stay tuned.